Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 11. What is a diagnosis really with Mary Schiller? You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Changeable. My guest on today's episode is Mary Schiller. Mary is an author and a coach who has a really incredible, hopeful story to share. Mary was diagnosed with PTSD and lived with a lot of the symptoms in a pretty severe way of PTSD for 30 some years after an abusive marriage. As you'll hear from Mary, it took about six weeks for her symptoms to dramatically lessen and change. After three decades of being constantly afraid and jumpy and a host of other things, a few weeks after seeing something about her own true nature and how her experience worked, what that jumpiness really was, where it was coming from, who she really was. In just a few weeks, she was free. So listen in as Mary and I talk about how a diagnosis is really just a description of what tends to happen at the level of our psychology and how even in quite extreme cases, we're far more changeable than we might think. Hi, Mary. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Hi, Amy. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. So I thought we could have a discussion about uh, what a diagnosis really is. And I know you have one of the... I, I've had a, a number of diagnoses in my life, and um, and I know you have as well, and I'm sure many listeners have because they're they're not uncommon. Right. <laughs> but I love your like just your story. It's weird to say it like that because it's your life, but like your experience with this, having being like diagnosed over and over and over again for so long, and then finding yourself free of that. So just for people who maybe don't know you, could you give us a, a little bit of that story? Sure. And yeah, I just to your point, I think pretty much everybody listening to this has probably had some kind of diagnosis related to uh, mental health or mental illness, however one wants to look at it. So I know I'm in good company. The first time I ever saw a counselor was three months into my first marriage. I was 22 years old at the time. And I really didn't understand what was going on in my marriage. It seems strange to say that, uh, but from literally the first uh, day, my ex-husband's behavior became violent towards me. And he had never behaved like that at all until we got married. And then all of a sudden, it was like I was living with a different person. And I had never in my life experienced any kind of violence or abuse. And so I was really, really, really confused by his behavior and quite uh, shocked literally by it. I think that when the first incident happened, I was so stunned that I kind of went into a very strange headspace. Like I didn't really understand what was happening I was really confused, and so about three months into the marriage, I went to see a counselor, but interestingly enough, because I was so confused by what was happening, 
uh, the counselor didn't ask me anything about his behavior and only asked about mine. <laughs> so uh, that was pretty much the story of that marriage. It got increasingly violent and abusive and pretty much every way that you can imagine a, a marriage could be violent and abusive. And I had a daughter about five years into the marriage. And at a certain point, I started to seek help from other people. Um, like one of my ex-husband's relatives was a physician. And so I went to him for help and he didn't do anything to help me. And I saw several other counselors during those years. But again, nobody asked me anything about whether I was afraid of my husband or what was happening at home. It was always turning around me. So for instance, they would say things like, well, you have a fear of intimacy or, you know, you're not being whatever way I wasn't being enough of. You know? yeah. So it was always pointed back uh, to me. And eventually, uh, almost seven years into the marriage, I got the courage to leave and even at that time, as hard as this may be for people to believe, I didn't really understand the dynamics of that relationship. The reason I left when I did was I was at a point where I really, really thought he might kill me. It was to that level. And also my daughter was two years old and she was you know, around that. And I was fearful that he might accidentally or on purpose do something to harm her. And so I left and to kind of put the icing on the cake, if you will, the first time I ever realized that I was in an abusive marriage was during the divorce process in Los Angeles County at that time. If there was a child involved, each of you had to see a court appointed counselor. And I went into the counselor's office and there was this poster there that said, if you've experienced any of these, you know, 15 things, you are probably in an abusive marriage. And I checked all the boxes and I was like, oh, I guess that's what's going on here. And so that counselor then sent me to a specialist who worked with women in domestic violence um, and sexual assault situations because he was unfortunately doing both of those to me. And she diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I had only heard of that term related to like veterans, you know, war veterans. And so at that time I was only 29 and I was like, wait, I have what, you know? <laughs> and so she explained what a post-traumatic stress disorder was and after I saw her for a few times, uh, and she was a very well-established uh, counselor in Los Angeles. She was uh, very well-known for working with women in this situation. Uh, she told me that she couldn't help me, uh, that um, I, my case was so severe because it involved a lot of other things um, that I haven't gone into here, that she couldn't help me. And you can imagine maybe what I thought at that point. I was like, wow how sick am I if, you know, if this renowned counselor who specializes in this has given me this diagnosis, says she can't help me, then what am I supposed to do? Um, so I, I lived with that diagnosis for my entire adult life. To make a long story very short, I still had to have a lot of contact with my ex-husband over the years. It turned out that he was also abusing our daughter uh, when I wasn't around. 
So we went through a couple of different court proceedings related to that and, you know, dealing with police and all kinds of stuff. And the whole time, you know, I was seeking help from different people and living with that diagnosis and feeling like I had basically screwed up my entire life because I had married this person at 22 and there was no hope for me because everybody who was talking to me about PTSD insisted that it was a lifelong problem. There was nothing that could be done. It's, oh my gosh. I mean, so much, so much in that. I mean, first it's like, you know, what, how you said that everyone you went to kept pointing it back to you. Now in, in however that looked to them that led them to do that, who the heck knows, that makes no sense really. But you know, like where it was like, oh, well, well, do you have a fear of intimacy? Well, are you doing this? Well, what's mm-hmm. going on within you? It just reminds me so much of what we naturally do in our own heads already, right. <laughs> you know, which is right. like, make it all about us. And that's, that's where this stuff gets so sticky sometimes is it looks so personal and so deep. And and so that, you know, that from the start, and then, then you get this diagnosis and, the, and someone, you know, really good at their job supposedly says, I can't even help you. <laughs> and again, yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, like just the, the story we would tell from that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that the way that I was experiencing life during those intervening years seemed to support what they were saying. You know, I was having, you know, not a great life experience, to put it mildly. (laughs) You know, I was uh, really stressed. I was exhibiting a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder types of symptoms. You know, I got slightly better over the years in that, you know, in the beginning, I would just flinch if anyone came even, you know, close to me. I was like, you know, get away from me kind of thing. I, I slowly, slowly, slowly got over that, some of that, not all of it. And so that seemed to bolster what all these people were saying to me. So that wasn't very helpful either. <laughs> kind of the self-analysis I was doing, like you were saying, was not helping me. Yeah. I mean, and we can only see what we expect to see, you know? And so so you expected to see that, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and me too, with my anxiety at a time, it's like, well, this makes sense. You know, as much as it, as much as it, I remember that feeling of, oh, you, you know, hearing you have this, you have that. And part of me, like stomach sinks and you're like, oh, I have this. But then also it's like, yeah, well, that makes sense. Because again, our mind just goes to all the evidence and filters in that way. Exactly. In my case, it looked like my first marriage caused this problem in me, that my decision to marry him, the ultimate cause, because I sort of got myself into it, if you will. And then his behavior seemed to cause this condition that I had. So the way it looked to me was, well, I can't go into a time machine and make a different decision or make him behave differently. So therefore, all of these professionals must be right that this is going to be a lifelong problem because I can't go back and undo it. Yeah. So you don't suffer from PTSD symptoms today. And I, don't, I know you don't give yourself that label. So what changed for you? In 2014, middle of 2014, uh, I had gone through yet another treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder in 2011-2012. And um, with a very, again, a very reputable counselor in New York. And it was a very grueling 16-month process that I went through 
And at the end of it in 2012, I was feeling better than I had in a really, really long time. And that lasted for about a year, year and a half, where I still had PTSD symptoms sometimes, but they weren't as severe. But then around the 12-month mark after the therapy was over, I started to go downhill again in my mind anyway. I started having more symptoms and really started to kind of, I felt like I was reverting, like all of the hard work that I had done during that process just was disappearing and I didn't know how to hang on to it. And I started to get kind of panicky. And by the end of 2013, I was at a pretty low point because I felt like I have spent so much time trying to fix this and going to see people and getting help for myself. And by that point, I had tried pretty much everything there was. And I was at that point thinking of actually trying to engage a physician in New York who would prescribe something that wasn't even approved by the American Medical Association. And I just thought, you know, this is ridiculous. Like, why can't I get over this? And about six months after that, in the middle of 2014, I came upon uh, something called The Three Principles through Michael Neal's book uh, titled The Inside Out Revolution. And I have to say that the first time I went through the book, I really didn't understand very much of what Michael was writing about. I came upon it very much by accident. I wasn't looking for anything. And how you go down the internet rabbit hole, I was down the internet rabbit hole and I, I came across it and I really had no expectations whatsoever. I was like, well, it's another self-help book. I've read, you know, a million of them, so I might as well read another one. But there was something in it that made me want to read it again. I was actually listening to it on the audio version. And I would get to the end of it. And each time I listened to it, I heard something else. So I would listen to it again. And by about the fifth or sixth time, I heard something pretty major in there, which had to do with the fact that every single person has thoughts. Everyone. And those thoughts create a certain feeling that feelings are not coming from a situation or another person or a circumstance. They're always coming from momentary, transient thinking. And that I didn't even need to look at what the thoughts were. I simply saw that thought kind of as a whole was giving human beings an experience and therefore, nothing was abnormal about that process. Everyone was having an experience based on thoughts they had at any given time. And that may not seem like a huge deal, what I just said, but it was for me because it suddenly put some distance between me and whatever feelings I was having. I started looking like I was living in New York and I would sit on the subway and sometimes I would have real feelings of stress on the subway because it was crowded. And, and I'd look around and I'd go, okay, so I'm having this experience right now because I got some thinking going through my head related to it. But that person across from me is having an experience based on whatever thinking they have. And I'd look around the car and I'd, and I, you know, just occurred to me that we're all having thoughts. So what's the big deal? It's not a big deal. Everybody has thinking. And that was gigantic 
for me. It took all the stigma off of me. Almost instantly, I felt a complete release of anything that looked like illness. It was like, I'm not sick. I'm simply having thoughts that are a certain type, but so is that person over there. And so is that person <laughs> over there. So yeah. what's the big deal? So that was massive. And then the second piece also was big, which was recognizing that since I wasn't those thoughts and feelings, I could start looking at what I actually was. If I wasn't the experience I was having, if I wasn't the thoughts I was having, if I wasn't the feelings I was having, then what was I? And I started to see that, you know, nothing had actually happened to big Mary. You know, little Mary was having all kinds of stress and, and fear and all kinds of feelings like that. But big Mary wasn't affected by any of that. And actually nothing had happened to her. And so I, again, I, I started to see sort of a distance between the self that I somehow knew was there, but wasn't really experiencing and the self that I had been experiencing on this daily basis that was really stressed out all the time. And that was life-changing for me. Yeah, it's huge. It, it's everything. I mean, it's, it can't not be life-changing, I think, to see that <laughs> no matter what you're going through, just to see that there's a me that doesn't change and then there's all this stuff that's always changing. And to kind of mm -hmm. get a feel for that distinction is gigantic. So it sounds like in seeing, oh, we're all just feeling thought all the time, it kind of took your focus off what you were thinking. Because I, mm -hmm. I would imagine there are people listening that say, yeah, but because you were in that horrible abusive relationship for so long, what you were thinking was terrible and was making you suffer. So you know what I mean? It's easy to mm -hmm. kind of stay focused on that. Yeah. And what happened was I remember having this thought of, oh, I get it. I'm creating my own suffering, not on purpose, obviously, but no. I'm creating my own suffering by caring about these negative or whatever you want to call them, feelings and thoughts. If I don't care about them anymore, because like I said, everybody has their own kind of thoughts and feelings and they go up and down and all over the place, then what difference does it make if I'm having that experience or not? And suddenly I was no longer invested in any of it. It, it. It's hard to explain this, but it was pretty instantaneous when I saw this, that I stopped caring about what my moment-to-moment -moment feelings were. I still had them, obviously, because I'm human and we all have feelings, and I still had some of those same stressful feelings. I just didn't care anymore. I didn't, it didn't worry me because I knew that I wasn't that. So as soon as I saw that I wasn't that and it wasn't, those feelings weren't signifying that there was a problem with me or that I was ill, it was like, oh, big deal. Okay, so what? So I'm having a stressful day. Oh, well, you know, what else is there to do? You know, <laughs> I kind right. of would just move on and let, you know, whatever happened, happen. And I just, I stopped trying to manage any of it. And the less I did to try to manage or control any of that, the better I felt. And the less I had those kinds of feelings. And before we get that little glimpse, however it shows up for any of us, before we get that glimpse that there is something beyond this experience mm -hmm. and that it's nice there, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> it's not just a big void. I mean, when, however that shows up again for each of mm -hmm. us is personal. And, um, but getting that glimpse before that glimpse, 
of course, we're completely caught up in our experience because it just looks like that's all there is. So I love what you're saying. It's like just getting curious for each of us about, wow, what is there before and beyond this little chattering mind and these thoughts and feelings that constantly come and go? Because that I think is our becomes our safety net. Would you agree with that? Yeah, exactly. And the interesting thing that happened in light of this too, that reflects what you were just saying, is that I could look back on all of those uh, 30 years from the time I got married until the time I had this realization. And I could very easily see evidence of my bigger self or however you want to describe that, that was creating some amazing friendships. And I ended up getting remarried and I raised my daughter and I had some, I got some great education and I had some interesting jobs. And so I could see evidence of that. I just wasn't experiencing it that way before. So I found this extremely helpful to do, which was to start looking for evidence of that larger self that is not wholly contained within that moment to moment experience. And I I continue to do that even now. You know, if I have days where I'm distracted by thoughts and feelings or whatever, I kind of go, oh wait, let's look for evidence of what I really am. You know, (laughs) what's really going on here? Um, And that I find extremely helpful. And every single person listening can find that. I mean, I've never, I'm sure you the same, like I know you've worked with a lot of people now sharing this and and me too, people with diagnoses, people with you know addictions and all kinds of things. And I've never seen one of them that doesn't have even just tiny little fleeting moments of peace, you know, mm-hmm. and that we just filter it out so easily because we're fixated on that label and that doesn't, you know, the piece doesn't match. I know when it was me, the piece just looked like a fluke. I thought, oh, I'm just getting lucky, but you know, I'm coming back. Me, the anxious me is coming back at some point. And it, and it was just completely flipped. So I love that. And it's, it's something I share with a lot of clients too, is like, just look for that. Look for the fact that when our mind settles down, we feel better. Like that's got to tell us something. It's not the other way around. You know, we don't feel good by thinking more and getting more caught up in our experience. We, we always feel more like ourselves and kind of return back home when things slow down. Yeah, that was very well put. And I think that, that for me, I realized that that sense of calm had been present the whole time that it wasn't a fluke, as you say, you know, I used to think, oh, well, because this is what we're told, you know, I had all my ducks lined up in a row there. That's why I felt better during that period, you know? Right. And And that's what I used to think. And how I started to see it was like, no, no, no. That sense of calm and peace and clarity and all those beautiful things, happiness and all that, that was present the whole time. And it's never going anywhere. It never left me because that's what it used to look like. It looks like this stuff happened to me and all that left. And now I could see, no, 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 that was all there the whole time. I simply wasn't consciously aware of it. I was kind of sleepwalking in a way. And I woke up and was like, oh, right, that's me. That is me. This other stuff is a made up version of me and can change anytime, <laughs> depending yeah. on what, what thoughts happen to go through my head. So would you say that, you talked about kind of not 
my words, but like you kind of didn't care so much what you were thinking and feeling because you you saw Big Mary and it was like, okay, well, this is just where my mind's going. Like, how did that get to where the what, you weren't focused on the what anymore, but the what changed? Because I'm, I'm guessing, you know, you probably don't always have positive thoughts now, but I'm guessing the content has changed. So how did that kind of go? Yeah, it was really interesting because I had no expectations of how I would start to feel differently after this. But what I noticed was that really the less I cared about whatever my experience was, because I saw it, saw it all as normal human emotion, you know, we're designed to have all these feelings and we wouldn't be designed this way if it weren't correct. The ones that had been sort of plaguing me started to fade into the background pretty quickly. And I, kept track of how I was experiencing this in the beginning. And it took about six weeks for the majority of my PTSD symptoms to really fade away, which was incredible to me after having them for 30 years, essentially. So that was another piece of evidence that showed me that, you know, whatever label was put on me, you know, it wasn't done maliciously, but it was incorrect. It just looked incorrect. And I didn't see myself at all as being ill or having some sort of incurable disease or something. It just, that whole thing just started to fall apart pretty quickly. It's really like, I mean, these diagnoses are just labels that describe kind of where the content of where your mind tends to go, or maybe even bigger than content, like how, how our psychology tends to go, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but that is so, think about that. I mean... This is how it tends to be, but we don't take on these labels and diagnoses like, oh, this is where my mind tends to go. <laughs> you know, again, it's right. all, it's so deep and personal and, mm-hmm. and it feels so stable and like, oh, mm. this, this is big me. But I think just that, what you're saying, like just by seeing, okay, this is just where the experience, it's kind of a description of where my experience tended to go. But the less I worried about that, it changed <laughs> and it, and it changed not by you doing a bunch of stuff, just simply by not worrying about it. And, and so the whole thing kind of had room to breathe. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, our culture tells us that certain feelings are bad, or if you have them for a certain period of time, that means they're, they're a problem. And, and that whole paradigm seemed really weird to me after a while. It was kind of like, well, so what if somebody has certain feelings more than I do? Big deal. It's We're all different in that sense, but we're all the same in that sense too. And again, it it started to look to me like, well, why can't we experience the full range of human feeling, whatever that looks like to each individual person? You know, why can't we do that? And that, again, took that level of concern and worry off. And to me, that's what made the difference was simply that, was not worrying about it anymore. It's the it's such a funny thing because I mean everyone says like oh just relax <laughs> like that, you know what I mean like somebody <laughs> kind of told you that twenty five years ago and and it hadn't mean anything but it turns out that's the answer <laughs> that's kind of yeah. like the answer to everything when we relax because of our design because of our nature when we can really relax you know like it's amazing what changes yeah and I think the key is knowing that that 
relaxation is our natural state and it's it's always there it it doesn't come and go it's the stability whereas like you were saying before it looked to me like all of these ptsd things you know feelings and all that that was my stable state no 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 that was the transient state yeah and i saw what was actually stable and that's what shifted my whole life experience like dramatically dramatically awesome thank you so much mary i love i love the hope i mean just so much hope that's in your experience and and i love how you share it so thank you so much for being here thanks amy it was my pleasure Thank you for listening to Changeable. If you're enjoying this podcast, please let me know. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a review so that others who need change can find their way here. And if you're listening to this episode as it's just gone live in late September 2018, head over to changemasterclass.com to catch my brand new, totally free four-part video series called Change That Sticks, how to achieve lasting freedom from habits and anxiety without relying on willpower. The four-part video series is totally free and people are loving it. And it's only going to be live for a short time. So head over there today. Again, that's changemasterclass.com. Thanks for listening.